You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation. She's my palette. I love You're it. That? I just started. Yeah, I like that. I'm gonna leave it in. We're we'll just go ahead and talk about that now. We're so we've brought this up. Lost Highway Gun Dog Kennels is uh, is a premier sponsor of the show. They also have their own podcast. Check this out. How many views that got on the YouTube? 139 and you're seven of those yeah you know who told me about this song ben yeah how did he find that who knows i don't know either yeah what's he doing i don't know but, but we've been, we, we love it i love it yeah we've been talking about dog names yeah um because sam's getting a dog from lost highway mm-hmm. um from grayson mm-hmm. he's gonna get a, a lab did i tell you what my initial dog name you told me and i hated it yeah everybody hated it and which made me keep on telling everybody because i thought it was funny go ahead and tell it corn get a name the dog corn spelled c-o-r-n short for acorn yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's awful so you call it corn dog (laughs) you call it sweet corn when it's acting good you know Um, what do you call it when it's acting bad cornhole i don't like that (laughs) i don't like that candy corn Popcorn, you know, you you could call it whatever you want. There's tons of options. Acorn. It's a bad name for a dog. Well, the more I said it, the more I kind of liked it. The more you say it, the more I dislike it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's awful. (laughs) Um, But really, I think we're getting close to an actual name. Okay. Sally. And hence the song. So, yeah, I told Ben, I told Ben, I was like, Sally's a pretty cute name. You know, if you want to do like a long name, you could do Salisbury. And then call it Sally. I think I kind of like Salisbury set. Sally. Yeah, I kind of just like. Could be it. a registered name. Uh huh. Lost yeah. Highway Salisbury Sally. Yeah. Uh huh. But uh, sounds like a, a master grand champion dog. But I told Ben, he's like, oh, I just heard a song about a dog named Sally. <laughs> and he and threw Sally, that. Sally, Sally with a wiggling tail. <laughs> Sally went chasing after a squirrel. Like Sally, it. Sally, she's my pally. Yeah. I, See, I like that's it. good. You'll be humming that song all the time. I, well, I already found out the chords. And so you're playing it. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're oh, playing yeah. it at the house. I'm going to play it for the dog. Yeah. The dog will be over in the crowd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hope so. It'll be a singing dog. Yeah. Singing Sally. Uh-huh. Singing Sally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah maybe, I, around, maybe around like feeding time every so, day I can get the guitar out and play it and she'll get fired up about the song. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Get her some French fries. All dogs can be trained with French fries. Okay. That's the true thing. Uh-huh. I don't care what dog tra- Every dog trainer <laughs> we've ever talked to on here, they may not look you in the eye and tell you that. But under the table, they're going to be like, yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. All dogs can be trained with French fries. <laughs> it's true. But anyways, Grayson, our buddy Grayson um, at Lost Highway Gundog Kennels, um, he's he's the guy who hooked me up. This is his dog, Althea's <coughs> puppy. and um, <coughs> He's not – I mean, he does breeding of dogs, and he's – I think all of those dogs are – all of her siblings are accounted for at this point. But mostly he's he's in business to train the trainer. Um, they do everything. I mean, snake aversion. They just had a snake aversion clinic, and 
Um, they do a little bit of everything. So if you're looking to get a dog and you, you know wanna, what snake aversion is, have you ever seen the? Have you I know ever, exactly what have it you is, ever yeah. seen that. That's a brutal. That's a brutal program. Put my older dog through it. Um, never put danger through it. She kind of learned uh, just from my, being around my older dog. But that's a uh, that's a program that's hard to watch. Yeah, one as, a as owner. an owner, as an owner, it's one that you're not going to want to do yourself, and then it's one that you're going to want. Well, you, yeah, you don't do it yourself. Yeah, and then it's one that where you're going to want to step away. Yeah, you and just, just let the trainer watch. do it. But it's a great if you're going to be hunting snake country, and by snake country, I mean places where there's lots of rattlesnakes. Places where there's lots of moxins. Um, yeah, do you know the six? I, I this is funny. In North yesterday, Carolina, yesterday I just did. Let's a, do it. Let's do the quiz right now. I did you a quiz full, me. just research on snakes in, in North, North Car- and uh, countrywide, really. But yeah, there's six in North Carolina. In North Carolina, yeah, yeah, I know. Them. Yeah, it's uh, the copperhead. Yeah, most common. Mm-hmm. Um, cottonmouth or water moxin. Yeah, um, which is not in our area currently, just a bit south of us, mm-hmm. and then east of us. Um, there is the rattlesnake. Yeah. Which yeah. kind? It's not the diamondback. It's yeah. the timber rattlesnake. Well, there's a few. Well, I, I guess in the in the southeastern part of the state, diamondback's in there. And mm-hmm. I'm talking our area specifically mm-hmm. right now, which mm-hmm. is not six in our area. But diamondback and timber mm-hmm. rattlesnakes, so mm-hmm. that's four. Mm-hmm. Um, pygmy rattlesnake makes yep. five, and the coral snake makes that's six. It. That's it. And out of those, the pig, the excuse me, the coral snake is the most deadly yeah. of those. Do you know what snake? Nation? Actually, did you leave pygmy rattlesnake out? Pygmy's on. There so is, there's seven. No, there's six. There was six. Three rattlesnakes. No, there's seven. You left out. So copperhead, mm-hmm. cottonmouth, yeah. timber rattlesnake, diamondback rattlesnake, pygmy rattlesnake. Uh, coral. Coral snake. That's it. Did I say them all there? Yeah. Uh-huh. Why did I, where'd I get seven from? I don't know. But, yeah, you're right. Do you know which nationwide which venomous snake snake accounts for the most bites? Copperhead, got to be. Got to be. Yep, that's it. That's it. Yeah, uh, everybody's seen a copperhead. Everybody's seen a copperhead. Anytime uh, you, like, just around your yard at some point, you, yep. you've bumped into a copperhead or mm-hmm. seen one on the road or something. Yeah, I was doing, I was, like, looking at. I get excited when I find a rattlesnake. I'm there's, like, oh. there's, like, 21 subspecies of rattlesnake. There's a bunch. Um, there's two subspecies of copperheads. Which I didn't realize. Yeah, I guess I didn't either. Um, but yeah, I was doing research on snakes and was reading about Maine for some reason, and I was like, they got you know, it was talking about it was talking <laughs> about, um, you know, the further south you go, the more diversity of venomous snakes you have. Well, yeah, it's hotter. Toward, exactly, and then you know you get towards Canada and there's far less. Yeah, I think and, there's there's like five snakes in all of Michigan, yeah. or six or something. Well, they were saying uh, in Maine. That there's, on record, one venomous snake, a timber rattlesnake. But the last time in Maine that they saw a timber rattlesnake, <laughs> 1905. Yeah, and that was probably somebody's pet. Yeah, probably. Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were in Michigan, and we found a, what, when I lived in Montana, we referred to these snakes, and I'm sure there is a variation in Montana as bull snakes. And you can look them up as bull snake. But in, it looked just like a bull snake to me. But in Michigan, it was just a giant hognose snake. Cool. Um, and I argued with, uh, I mean, there were three biologists in this truck. And I'm like, ah, that's what, that's what they call a bull snake in Montana. Because we don't have this type. I mean, we have hognose snakes in North Carolina, but nothing to this 
Hognose. This was a four foot snake. It's a big snake. Hognose kind of has like, it's a deceptive looking snake. Cobra looking. It does. Kind of has that uh, that diamond shaped head. Yep. To upturned nose. They play dead. They're super docile. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, it was not a bull snake. It was a, it was a hognose snake. But I was I was wrong, which I didn't want to be wrong, but I was. It, but the coloration, the size, led me to go bull snake on it. But apparently they're not native to Michigan. I guess I don't know. I'm not a Michigan fellow, so somebody from Michigan can ride in on that. Yeah. Um, but uh, snakes, man. Everybody likes talking about snakes. I like talking about snakes. We're talking. How about many have you seen this year? Several. I stepped over a timber rattler turkey hunting. No kidding. In the dark. Yeah, never saw him, heard him. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, walking in to my spot where I had a bird roosted. And this is at like, this is probably 540 in the morning. And I've got to the point where it's lights out. No flashlight. I'm just using moonlight, slipping in. And I take a step. And usually I take a couple steps and just stand for a couple of minutes you know it'd be real quiet especially right now when the leaves were so crunchy you know just trying to trying to walk like an animal and i hear him i first i heard the leaves moving and this is in the dark i heard the leaves moving and like very close to my feet and then i heard and it was for sure a rattlesnake so Instead of turning on my flashlight, I just started taking a couple steps away. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, nice and smooth, like, just to get out of the way because he was letting me know he was close. And uh, coming back down, I saw pretty much where he would have been when I was coming back out. He wasn't there. I looked for him, but he wasn't there. So, didn't get bit. I saw um, on our burn. That's saw- the first time that's ever happened to me, by the way. It's the first time I've ever had a rattlesnake let me know he's there without me seeing him first. I've done – so when I lived in Arizona, I was working um, – I hate this chair. Yeah, I'm pretty uncomfortable right now. These chairs are awful. Yeah. Anyways, um, that's just rattlesnakes everywhere. Yeah. First – one of the first days, we I was working at a greenhouse. They were doing, like, pollinator stuff, which is funny because we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But there – what they were doing at this – at the seed lab and this greenhouse was – you would go out. There was a lot of grant money at the time. Probably still is. I don't know. For milkweed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, still a thing. Yeah, for milkweed. monarchs. Milkweed's big right now. Um, so. We planted, that, we planted a bunch of milkweed. Mm-hmm. They had a team that would go out and find wild milkweed and collect seed. Get the pods. Collect seed, yeah, by hand. Um, take it to the seed lab. Take the chaff away. Collect the seed. Dry it and then plant it in the greenhouse, and then had GPS coordinates for the mother plant, and then would go out and take the offspring and plant them in the region, in the area around the mother plant. Um, and Plant started plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you'd start it small, continually transplant it until it was a nice, full, viable plant, and then go and uh, take it back yep. into the landscape. Um, but I went to the greenhouse and was – hauling mulch or something with a wheelbarrow and rounded around the greenhouse and there's this giant rattlesnake like right there by the greenhouse diamondback yeah mm-hmm. western and i uh 
put down the wheelbarrow and went around. I was like, uh, there's a rattlesnake right here. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know. <laughs> lives over here. Lives under the greenhouse. And they were just whatever about Cool it. with him. Yeah, yeah, cool with him. I like that. I'm cool with I'm cool with snakes as long as they're not like where i got to be messing around. Yeah, but I'm going and like monitoring properties out there and stuff. I mean, multiple occasions. Um, probably the scariest one to me was I uh, stepped on one. It was tall grass. A rattlesnake? Yeah. Oh. I stepped on one. It was very tall grass, and you know that feeling. You've that done squish it. feeling, dude. Yeah, I don't uh-huh. like stepping like on anything. stepping on a hose, you know? Yeah, stepping on a squish is so, never good. And the feeling like where your heart goes into your throat and jump like a cat, you know, yep. backwards. And I saw him move. Our executive director can do a good, pretty good snake yeah. jump. <laughs> I've, seen him, I've seen him do the snake jump. Yeah. I, uh, I just recently asked him for snake boots, doing monitoring and stuff. And yeah, that's I was going to ask you. That's you... one. I haven't ordered them yet, but that's one thing where he's like, yes, <laughs> he understands. Um, he's not a snake guy. Yeah, but I saw that snake kind of coil up. I could see him through the grass, and his tail was going, but he had lost his rattle. Huh. I wonder if somebody caught him and cut it off. Maybe. I don't know, but he didn't have one, and that freaked me all out because he was, you know, he was cold up, ready to go, but he had no way to let me know that he was not happy. Not a happy camper. Huh. I've had uh, I've had several rattlesnake encounters, but I've never stepped on one. Um, I've got a uh, well, I, I'm not gonna say that. Just recently, but. just recently in North Carolina, um, me and a few buddies went fishing on a river that will remain unnamed, but we got down in this gorge, and I found a baby rattlesnake with a button floating down river, and got a stick and pulled it out, and then. Went up about a hundred feet, or a couple hundred feet, and then saw its sibling. I'm assuming, also in the river, couldn't get out. And I got a stick and got that one out too. Um, Snakes everywhere. Yeah, so I started <laughs> kind of freaking. Ugh. Out. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, I haven't been back since. I wonder if they're they're living there. I'm sure I'm they're around. I'm gonna have to be sketchy about that little oh, bend man. in the river. So we were gonna talk about kind of. I mean, we're always all about animals on the show and wildlife, but kind of nuisance pests if you want to call them that and i think snakes to a lot of people fit in that category not to me as long as i obviously don't want venomous snakes in like my son's play area in the mm-hmm. yard yeah i mean i think that's acceptable but am i gonna kill one no i'm just gonna get him and move him somewhere where he should be and if he shows up a second time then we probably got an issue and a lot of times, that's what they do. They don't like being moved from their home area. I mean, they'll travel miles and miles and miles to come back. So sometimes that's not feasible, but I've had to move a couple that, that I didn't like having right there at the house. But I don't mind I don't mind snakes. I like having them around, especially rat snakes. Never get rid of I got a rat snake that lives underneath my bedroom. He's lived there since before I bought the house. He lived there then. The previous homeowner told me about him. I saw him within a couple of days of moving in, and he's been there. They named him, the previous homeowner named him Todd, so Todd the rat snake, and so Todd still lives there. I like Todd, like keeping him around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> when doing my snake research yesterday. Until he starts getting into my chicken coop, yeah. and then we're going to have to let Todd go somewhere else. <laughs> when we started, when I was doing the snake research, um, there's a long list, I think it was on Wikipedia, of fatalities from venomous snakes, and a lot of them, you said a okay. long list? There's a, I mean, it, not that long. I mean, it's got all the fatalities. But, I mean, on average, like three a year, you know. Okay. Um, well, that's, that's higher um, than I expected, I guess. But um, 
there were a few things, there were a few circumstances that led to the fatalities the most. Three, really, that I, that stood out when I was reading through the list of like three particular things that people were doing that led to bites and fatalities. The first. Oh, playing with snakes. Guess? Catching them? Yeah, the first would be moving them. Yeah. Like somebody like see them oh, in the yeah. road if or whatever. You're not a, if you're not a proficient or an expert snake handler, mm-hmm. you don't need to be messing with them. Yeah. So that was one. The second one. Do you want to take a guess at the second one? Uh, I got nothing. Keeping them. Oh, yeah, as pets. Exotics. Sure, okay. Um, that was, yeah, for fatalities, that was yeah, on the one. list, I'm sure that's on the list. And then yeah. the third one? Ready? Churches. Oh, snake-handling churches. Snake-handling churches. What are those? Are those uh, freewheel churches? I forget what they're called. I can't remember. Hey, come on in. Who we got? Hey, hey look, man. Whoa, guess well, who just walked in the well, door? That's convenient let me, uh, let me pause it. Guess who just walked in the door? None other than Jeff Moose. We were just about to we talk about you. We were about Jeff. to talk about you. Let me pause this. Hold yeah, on. What's up? We took a little short pause there because uh, Jeff walked in, like we were saying, and he brought he brought some stuff. He yeah. brought he brought some stuff. We, we might as well just go ahead and and mention he has he brought this. Let me let me go grab one. You just keep talking. Yeah. So Jeff Jeff runs the show over at Backcountry and Beyond at the intersection of Ennis Street and I eighty five here in Salisbury outdoor shop got a little bit of everything and super super good supporter of the land trust and of conservation he's a we actually have the through hike coming up here this week um our spring through hike and he comes out every year and treats our hikers well and um he brought cody and i a little gift yeah so and he's he's got a sense of humor i mean dude's got a sense of humor Mm -hmm. it's the uh easy safety grip saf hyphen t hyphen grip Mm-hmm. So I'm sure if you're a tree stand hunter, you've seen these. It's it's a modification of a screw-in tree peg step, um, shaped kind of like a U, and it's made for you know hanging your bow, hanging your rifle, grabbing a hold of to climb into your stand, just a little extra safety thing. And he said, as much as you boys talk going to the bathroom outside, he's like, I kind of come up with a new new invention for this thing. He said, uh, I'm thinking you screw it into the tree. And you got you a handle to hang back. Mm-hmm. So you're hanging back. And, uh, I mean, you get the picture of what's happening. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, which I think is super funny. And Sam and I both uh, expressed a bit of hesitation on the speed at which this would screw into the tree. Because oftentimes, when you're, when you're in a dire situation of needing to go in an inconvenient location, you ain't really got time for screwing in. Tree pegs. Yeah, but he let us know it goes pretty He quick. let us know this thing's super fast. <laughs> like, no worries there. They're uh, super handy. I, hunting with one, <laughs> it's, a, it's a must-have for your bag. If, if you're a bow hunter, uh, you, you can't hunt without one. Yeah, I even like going, I mean, for people that are hunting with climbers and stuff, um, it's a pretty handy thing to have. This is your, a lot smaller than like an easy hanger yeah, or uh-huh. something. It's made in the USA, which I like. They're pretty light. You know, it's not like Yeah, this doesn't, weigh, this doesn't weigh much at all. Mm-hmm. Um but I like I like where his head's at on that. And I was thinking, like, if you're camping for a couple of days and you're going to designate the poop spot, this right here, you could designate the poop spot with this. Let me get a look at that thing. Get a look at it. It's cool. Um, reasonably priced, too. Oh, yeah. But uh, $10. Yeah, I mean, that's a you, you'll get 10 bucks worth of use out of that for sure. But anyways, I thought that was super funny. He also brought by some, uh, some things that uh, – some of you listeners may may see at some point there's going to be some engraved uh, Yeti drinkware mm-hmm. coming out, 
and uh that was a coke by the way yeah mm-hmm. um that uh don't you, that, hate, don't you hate that oh that's the worst so yeah. he, he just had he just popped a top and the pop the top did not pop in mm. got a you cut your finger you got mm. a bloody coke no i'm good <laughs> the bloody coke. anyways um <laughs> back country and beyond yeah um, you just got it Go over there. They got everything. They got all kinds of e- e-bikes. He said they got seven e-bikes in stock. And look, we shop there. Sam and I shop there. We buy stuff there. Mm-hmm. Like, not everything's free. We don't We don't go expect free stuff. We yeah. shop there, and you should too. And the reason you should isn't necessarily that you can't get some of these items somewhere else. It's because they're a, a true local shop. Like, you want to use the term mom and pop, but... They're they're local and they care about conservation. They care about the same stuff you care about. Yeah, he just brought over some Yeti mugs as gifts yeah, for people I who mean, are coming to spending events money out of his pocket to support conservation. To support yeah. conservation, so that's why you go shop there. Mm-hmm. That's the reason. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter what the products are. They're cool. They're awesome. Yeah, I mean the products matter because they got all the cool stuff. So it definitely matters. Um, I got everything. So I used the I used the BioLite stove grill deal. Opening day of turkey season. Yeah, we talked about it. Did I talk about that uh, on here? It, we said that might as well be Jeff's turkey. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. So, anyways, couldn't have done it without him. I should have, I should have brought that up to him. And, uh, <laughs> Backcountryandbeyond.com. Like yeah, I should have been like, did you punch your turkey tag? Because <laughs> <laughs> you basically killed a turkey. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Backcountry and Beyond. Um, so, we're talking snakes. And uh, which kind of so annoying. One thing, yeah, one thing that you got into – while we're just quickly, while we're talking backcountry beyond, just talking about pests. Yeah. One pest that is a little bit better than what we, what we've been dealing with because we had this frost was mosquitoes and mosquitoes are starting to get bad. Go get, if you don't have a thermosel, go get one. They do work. They're they're an actual gadget. That's, that's a working gadget. Worth it. Yeah, it works. Worth it. Um, and then another one. Don't breathe it though. No, Mm -mm. don't breathe it. Mm-mm. I don't think it's toxic to you, but it dang sure gives you a weird, lightheaded, sick feeling, like nausea. Mm-hmm. So, I, I but don't, sometimes, don't I mean, it. but don't sometimes, like, don't huff it. <laughs> yeah, prior to the fr- the couple of frosts that we have, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, prior to that, the mosquitoes got bad, bad. Yeah, um, where I was hunting, and if you have to make the decision on. Am I going to get eaten alive here, or am I going to have my thermosel running and like, you know, get, get nauseated? <laughs> <laughs> take it, nausea I every see, time. I, t- I would take the nausea, even though I didn't get nausea, like nauseous at all. I just, you know, it's you just you got to put it downwind of yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they do work. They're amazing. They work. Uh, the, another pest, another pest that we want to talk about being the owners of a couple of log homes. Yeah, we might as well talk about that now. We love pollinators. Just I put that. Yeah, we're right gonna talk about them in a second. And I don't know that there's that many people that do more for pollinators than we do locally. I mean, we plant for pollinators almost exclusively. That said, carpenter bees, they suck. Don't care for them. I don't like them. Mm-hmm. I I wish they were all wiped off the planet. <laughs> no, I, I'll say that. I'm yeah. sure they support some vital part of the ecosystem. I don't care what part it is. I don't like them. The, if if my home, if my house and your house were left to be there with nobody taking care of it and everything else considered taken care of except for insects, those carpenter bees would eat the house down within 10 years. 
there would be no house left. They're worse than termites by a mile. They they cut a half inch drill bit hole into my log cabin mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. and they drill as deep as they can, which is usually four to five inches mm-hmm. in a day. Because mm-hmm. I've measured these holes, I, I've straight up measured them, and they they find a new place every time, and I just go around filling them up with caulk, filling them up with with brown caulk, mm-hmm. wood filler, wood yeah. filler. But if it was left to if it was left up to them, they would eat my house. Yeah, they would eat my house. We both have, and they bite. I don't. The ones without the yellow well, spot, they bite. The one without the yellow spot will bite. Which I can't remember if it's the male or female. Who cares? I'm not even going <laughs> to spend the time to look it up. They all bite, in my opinion. They're all bad. You can write in if you're a bee lover and you're like, you shouldn't feel that way. I hope you have a log home that gets eaten. So we both have traps. I gave Mine was given to me by my parents. Your it's parents? A, did your parents design that model? Mm-mm, I think they got it from a friend. Or so yours works good. Mm-hmm, I have some that don't work worth anything. And then a neighbor introduced me to a trap that's just like yours. Little, maybe exactly like yours, and they catch. Yeah, think about building a like little mini log cabin. Um, so it's you know four four walls, a little roof on it, um, and a hole in the bottom, and then on each wall, in quotes, is a diagonally drilled. Yeah, and it's drilled upwards. Yep, it's drilled upwards. It looks the same exact size as a carpenter bee hole. Yes. And what they'll do is they'll go climb into that. The log cabin that you have built, that is your... You have to mount it to the wall of your cabin. I found that out. It has to be screwed to the wall. Mine's hanging. See, I was told that's not good. Mine's hanging right up against the house. It works. It catches. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm screwing mine to the wall of cabin. That's fine. Um, on each wall of the carpenter bee trap is a hole. And the cabin that is the trap is hollow. So they'll go up into that hole... They'll get into the hollow space of the trap, and then there is a hole down in the bottom, which yeah, would be it's the, bottomless. The yeah, uh-huh, the floor essentially of the of the, the trap. House, yeah, and connected to the bottom is a water bottle. Yep, like a funnel, you know, uh-huh. water bottle. Uh huh. And they'll go towards the light, and they'll go down into what they I assume is an escape. They think it's the way out. The way I'm out. Sure. Uh huh. And it. <coughs> funnels down into like this part of the water bottle that you sip out of and then it opens back up there's well, two water bottles connected y- yeah lip to lip uh-huh and once they go through that little funnel into the water bottle they can't figure their way out and you got them you got them and, and that's it, great and if you catch like once you i feel like i've noticed once you catch one they you like they agree. really start the, coming i'm in sure the hot. pheromones i'm sure it's just like uh-huh. ants and, and honeybees uh-huh. and all the other bees so I'm sure they're releasing pheromones, and once you get one, you kind of got another. It's just like tra- it's like trapping anything. Once you get one, that spot's probably going to catch another one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I already this summer, just filling in carpenter bee holes. Me and Boone been out there with the wiffle ball bat, just banging them. Yeah. Every chance we get, shoot them out of the air with a BB gun. Mm-hmm. Anything, anything we can do to lower the population of those jokers, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, I, this is one topic that I will not budge on. Mm-hmm. I despise them. Now, interestingly enough, we are way into pollinators because we love pollinators. Because we're having I love uh, it. Twenty twenty one. We haven't really discussed it yet, but and the twenty twenty one garden off. Yeah, 
Yeah. The garden off. We, we it was a challenge that was brought to me last year mm-hmm. from Sam, mm-hmm. uh, and I did not I did not do a big garden last year. We did some potted stuff, and and that's about it. Sam did a Sam did pretty much full on garden last My fall year. garden. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, some beds and things. This year, it's on. The garden off is a thing that's happening. Michael Felder would love to know about it. Yeah. We should send him some pictures. I should send him a um, picture. First thing, let's talk about what we got. Okay. You, you got a lot of the same stuff. Okay. So I'll start from the bottom of my garden going to the first, top. First, let's talk about the size of your garden. So What's the, what's the, what are the dimensions? I actually measured it. I'm going to say it's uh, 100 feet long. 100 feet long? It's big. It's probably 100 feet long by 40 feet wide. 100 feet long by 40 feet wide. Yeah. That big. Dang big. God. Mine, okay. okay, so I've got one I've got one that's uh 15 by 15. Yeah, it's every bit of 30 feet wide because it was four passes with a 9-foot disc. Okay. Well, I've got one that's 15 by 15 and then I've got a second bed that's 10 by 10 just for easy math and then I've got two raised beds. That are, you know. Well, all yours together might be close to what probably, I got. Probably not. See, I did it bigger because I didn't want to mow grass. And I was like, the bigger I make this this dirt yeah. patch, the yeah. less grass I got of mowing. Mm-hmm. I hate mowing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I don't care if the whole thing gets planted or not. Mm-hmm. I'll just keep it tilled up and yeah. looking like dirt. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> like the old days when they had the dirt lawn. Yep, yep I'm totally just fine sweep, with it. Just sweep the, I'm way, sweep the yard. Sweep the yard. I'm way interested <laughs> yeah. in that. Yeah. So, yeah, I got a big one. And, okay, uh, go through from the bottom and tell us what you got. Three rows mm-hmm. of sweet corn. Wait, well, hold up. I'm going to pause you again. But around the perimeter. Around the perimeter? I've got clover planted all the way around my garden. Do you have a fence? No fence. I'm going no fence. I've got a fence. Now, there is a fence already on one side of my garden, uh-huh. but it's not like a fence to keep out animals. It's a it's a, a split rail fence. Yeah. for It's decorative. Uh-huh. But not going to fence it. I'm, the dogs just, I'm going to try to keep the dogs from going in there as best I can. But I don't want to waste time. I don't. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't want. I don't want to waste time dealing with fence in my yard. It's one more thing to have to move later, or mow around, or have to step through. Mow around, weed eat around. Oh yeah, I'm not it's doing a pain. it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I won't. Yeah, I've already had what seems to be a rabbit come in and eat one. Oh, of my, we got rabbits. Eat I one of my cucumbers. I'm cool with it. Come on in. I don't mind that. Well, when you got a hundred hundred foot long, garden, yeah, I, I can spare a couple. I don't know. We'll I see. planted some. I, I, I planted some with the intent of wildlife coming to get them. I think that. I think that there were two hen turkeys in there. Uh, Thursday Thursday morning when I was turkey hunting, Mikey texted me a picture of two hen turkeys. Like I was turkey hunting on game lands, Mikey texted me a picture of two hen turkeys in the garden. Yeah, which is ten feet from the front of my house. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Plants three rows of sweet corn. Um, one of those rows. How are they doing? Uh, two inches tall on the two rows. The third row probably not going to make. Um, corn's tough, man. I've I've done corn before. I I, I never, don't have I don't I have never great, got it to great, do well. A first year garden, it's not a great place to do corn. It needs to be worked a little bit. I got a lot of rocks in my yeah. place. Um, it's weedy also, and with sweet corn, there's no Roundup you can spray on that. So. Okay. Um, I didn't use any chemical. This is all. I hadn't organic. used any chemical. Mikey's yet. planning on going organic at the farmer's market. So this is a full organic garden. Yeah. Um, so Minus two. So if you buy from Mikey at the farmer's market, 
it, it's legit organic yeah. mm-hmm. so i i'm not super into it i would rather use a little chemical and be weed free yeah but three rows are gonna corn. have to get out there and do some hand oh we already have been we do it every I day done any way. i haven't done the uh we do it every day that's like a thing we, we do now it's it's i don't like it uh yeah I'm i, sure I grew don't. out of, i grew out of that when i was mm-hmm. nine mm-hmm. when i used to help my grandpa do it i did i liked it then because we were splitting the money but now i'm just like i don't even like vegetables that much <laughs> yeah. actually at all to be tr- truthful <laughs> all right, i like corn sweet corn i like sweet corn um next row up is um radishes okay got radishes a row of radishes got a row of collards got a row of okra and then we've got two rows of different kinds of peppers we got sweet peppers um and then we got jalapenos mm-hmm. which i'm i like all those mm-hmm. a lot um and then we got a row of uh some kind of tomato no, I said beefsteak at one point, but it's not beefsteak. It's uh, something. It sounds cool, like Dixie something or others. Mm-hmm. Dixie somethings. Got those, and then we got a, two rows of, uh, and I don't know why we've got so many of these, but two rows of cherry tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And then we make some salsa. It's a lot of cherry tomatoes. Uh, does that make good salsa? Mm-hmm. That's what my plan is for the peppers. It'd be fun. Speaking of peppers, I've also got potted. I've got. Uh, I've got a. I just got my hands on it thanks to a hookup. I won't name names because I don't want any copyright infringements or anything happening. But I have a real life Carolina Reaper plant. It's the hottest pepper in the world, and I, I'm fired up. Now that one will be caged. You gotta keep that from your son. You gotta keep that from everything, mm-hmm. like animals. I mean, the dogs get a hold of that. <laughs> Goodbye, dog. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same for the boy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't touch it. I mean, the leaves so far aren't toxic, but at some point there will be parts of that plant that if you touch it and then like wipe your face or go to the bathroom, you're going to wish you hadn't. Yeah. So I've got that. And then I've got habaneros mm-hmm. potted mm-hmm. growing in my window. I'm going to grow those inside, both of them. But uh, we've got uh, cucumbers planted, heels, um, squash um, got 12 squash plants. Mm-hmm. Watermelon. Squash are huge. Watermelon. Squash plants get huge. Yeah, and so we've got 12 of those. Zooks. Got zooks. Got zooks planted. Um, watermelons and pumpkins. Boone wanted, Boone had to have, that was like the only thing he cared about was planting pumpkins. Like, mm-hmm. didn't, nothing else mattered. He's Mikey's job. As long as we had some pumpkins Halloween up in there. Boy. All he wanted was pumpkins. Yeah. Like the most useless vegetable there is. Mm-hmm. Pumpkin pie is good. Yeah. Pumpkin pie is good. What else do you do with them? That's it. Carve it. Pumpkins are not a useful vegetable. I've got um, peppers, jalapenos, bells. What's the most? Everything. What's the most useful? Yeah, we got bells. I should have said that in the sweet pepper row. What's your most useful pepper? Like, what do you? If you had to grow one, what would it be? That I eat the most? Or yeah, that you jalapenos would, yeah, and bells. Totally. totally. Jalapenos. Bells. For me. I eat a lot of bell peppers with like fajitas or something like that. Jalapenos are good with everything. Yeah, but I like uh, I like the bang for your buck that you get with the bell. Pepper. So much bigger, so mm-hmm. much less work to mm-hmm. prepare it to eat. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, put it in like a fajita or whatever Mexican dish. I just don't think I, you don't get. I like a little bit of oomph. Yeah, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And a jalapeno is the perfect pepper. Yeah, I like pe- I, I like them a lot. I use them I'm a lot. A chili head, anyways, dude. Love them. Love all of them. <laughs> okra. Yep, got okra. That's good. Yeah. I got okra, I got squash, I got how zucchini. Many, how many plants do you have, do you know? 
Or you just got range? Uh, it's 15 feet, I think spacing 10 inches, 12 inches. 10. Yeah, we're doing 10 or 12. Yeah, so probably like 15 or so. 16. 16 inch Something spacing like on my core. Yeah. Um, so I've got them. I've got tomatoes, just regular big tomatoes, <laughs> three plants, and then i got three. Um, they need pretty good spacing. They need about like two feet tomatoes, of spacing. Yeah. So I've got three tomato plants and then three cherry, three or four, four cherry tomato plants. You're going to cage your tomatoes? For the big ones, yeah. Yeah. I uh, already got cages on them, actually. Um, I've got cucumbers. Um, one thing that we eat a lot of that yeah, you've I, mentioned this that I like is spaghetti squash. Yep. It's like an alternative to pasta. Um, when doing like marinara spaghetti sauce with deer meat, dude, I like it. I like it a whole lot. You've mentioned it to me before. They're good. They're good. Eat a vegetable instead of noodles, and it's. I mean, it's like angel hair. I mean, it's good. I like them. It's. I'd. I'd rather have. I'd rather have spaghetti squash than regular squash. See, <clears> I like <throat> when Mikey makes the fried squash. You know, just like throw the worst possible way to eat it, but it's the way I like it. With a lot of salt. Yeah. I like... It's like a potato chip. I guess spaghetti squash is more of a niche item, but, I mean, who doesn't like spaghetti? And when you can eat a vegetable and put your spaghetti sauce... It's like, you're not really, like, tasting the noodles anyways when you're eating a spaghetti. What's the texture like on that? Um, Comparative to a noodle. It's not that different. Really? It's not that different. It's not soggier. It's a little soggier. So I, I don't know if I can take. I don't know if I can do that. It's I'd, little, I'd try it. I'd be open. Yeah, it's good. Uh, you talk about it a lot, like it's the thing. Yeah. Oh, we do them all the time. I mean, one <laughs> spaghetti squash is perfect for two people. You split it right. If it's a nice big one, you split it right in half, uh, bake it, and then all of the meat. It's like got vertical lines. All the meat is kind of like in strands. The grain. It's a grain. Yeah. And so you bake it for like 45 minutes or an hour, put some olive oil on it, put it on a baking sheet, flipped meat down, carb, take out like the seeds and stuff yeah, in the middle, obviously. I'm, I'm tracking. Um, and then when you pull it out of the oven and you flip it over, you just take a fork and scrape the meat and it turns it, those strands expose themselves and turn into noodles, essentially. Weird. So you could scrape it, you, you could eat it straight out of the husk or you could scrape it out and then put it in like a bowl, like a. It's kind of. It would probably look a little bit more like, like ramen. What turned you on to this? I didn't know about it until um, Steely just told Some me about Steely it. Knew about uh-huh. did yeah huh. yeah. So um, so I have them, and I'm probably leaving something out, but I have a chicken wire around my yeah around my garden, and like you can see, I've done it. I did it in the past, and I've had critters come in and eat stuff so what i've done and like when you have you know my thoughts on when you have 15 critter, critters coming to eat in the garden i'll just eat them too yeah well, <laughs> when you have 15 by 15 feet and then another whatever smaller one like every plant counts every every plant counts yeah, yeah i can't lose one of my 15 okra plants or i can't lose one of my six tomatoes yeah you that's know? two different gardening strategies yeah. here. that's uh-huh. why it's the garden off 2021 uh-huh. but i you'll i'll go in and i'll see where something's uh dug up under the fence and then i'll have to reinforce it i've already had that where they've what kind of animals are digging under your fence what i think you a rabbit or something i think so uh-huh. huh? yeah well, that's a pretty big hole I'll be damn. yeah huh. so anyways um then the other thing that we've done you and i both 
I kind of, I guess, is get pollinator plants out and around the garden. Yeah, my I haven't planted anything specific. I planted my whole yard in clover. I like her. Most people hate clover in their yard. I'm the exact opposite. You know, mine's the same exact thing. Yeah, I'm a clover. Sam, too. Yeah, we're both clover people. Um, like it in the yard. Mm-hmm. And this time of year, we got a green yard. Like, Oh, yeah, mine's com- I got a red yard. Yeah, you're letting yours bloom. You're letting your yeah. clover bloom. Yeah. Mine's starting to bloom now because I haven't mowed. But if you mowed and kept a nice manicured yard, it'd just be it like looks a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. green yard. Now, midsummer, it's going to be brown because your clover's going to be kaput. That's fine. But, uh, God, this time of year, people think you know what you're doing on your yard. Yeah, well, I went through um, this whole area that's planted where my garden is, where my clover is. This was all cut over before. And this I, is no, I can attest to this. Like a Sam's sh- house is in the center of a cutover. What used to be, yeah. Um, and I contracted a guy to come with a fecon head on a skid steer and, I mean, just eat that whole thing up and turned it into mulch. Left a lot of like big sticks and stuff in the yard. So I've had to go back through. I've had a lot of burn piles burning off the sticks. So I'm finally getting to the point where, where it's kind of like a, a lawn at this, you know, at this point. There's still a lot of slash down, but, um, Went through, did that fecon work, went back through and did like a stump and squirt where I could see where he cut down a lot of the trees and I went back and clipped them again and p- applied a little bit of chemical. So I've really... And that worked. Uh, all the sweet gums are gone. I haven't had one sweet gum come up. Yeah. Um, one, there was a little stretch of like low wetlands that had some willows. None of them have come back. It worked really well. It was meticulous. It took days. Yeah. Day after work, every day we would go out and... Do a little and clipping, do a little, little clipping, a little squirting, but it's worked worked really well. Anyways, the point being, I've got it now where I can run my mower over it. So I mowed it, and one thing that I was surprised about was I I probably mowed it ten days ago, um, and within three days, those they were heading back out. They came back really, really fast. Um, the crimson clover. Yeah. Clover doesn't mind some heavy brows. No. So, um, <laughs> which is what you're doing. But the other thing that you're looking at is go and look at all those crimson flowers and everyone's got to be on every it. single one of them's got to be on it. Yeah. yeah. So I have that, um, in terms of pollen, it's a nitrogen fixer. So, which is usually what your garden is going to be lacking in a hundred percent. So I went through the second bed that I just put in. This is the probably 10 by 10 one. That was on a patch of ground that used to be a clover. So I turned all that under with a hand Perfect. tiller. And now it's, you know, it's primo. That's exactly what we did. Yeah. And that's why I think my corn's going to be okay first year garden. It's because I, I put it right in the center of a clover patch that I planted when we moved there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then a border of buckwheat, which I'll put down again. And buckwheat's a great. Yeah. Well, we can't talk enough about that plant. That's, uh-huh. a, that's a great plant. Yeah. So that's a, you know, that's a, for everything, for all kinds of critters. That's one to put down. Uh, in terms, if you're if you've got a garden and you want to have some flowering plants, um, we did some research and <laughs> decided to put in uh, black-eyed Susans, which you like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, purple cone flower, Cosmos, Snapdragons, stuff like that. Yeah, um, we've got a um, some we've flowers. Got a, right? We got a flower bed right, right, uh, basically right adjacent to our house, which is in between the garden and the house. And uh, we did a bunch of uh, native wildflowers, uh, two different mixes in there, um, Rudbeckia, Coreopsis, um, just a whole bunch of different things. 
So they'll 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 definitely attract pollinators, um, and hopefully keep the friggin' carpenter bees away on the, uh, on, the on that and away from my logs on my house. Uh, in terms of trees that you like, you know, like sourwood. Yep, I'm, around the house we got a lot of them around there, and I like having those. You got a persimmon. Got persimmons near the, the house, house, which is great. Uh, dogwoods, which are still, you know the flowering period's about over for dogwoods. Um, but dogwoods are a great pollinator species, black gums. Um, so, yeah. White oaks, yeah. White oaks. Yep, and then we got muscadines, too, that are flowering. So We were talking about pollination and cross-pollination. And yeah. Yeah, we were talking about the weird, the oddities of it. There's So, there are, depending on the plant, is, what, is a big part of it. Because some plants only have male parts. Some plants only have female parts. Some plants have both. Persimmons, there's male and female trees. Yes, a persimmon. Ginkgo trees, male yeah. and female. So a if you are a hunter, and you find a persimmon tree in the summertime, when you can't tell if it's a male or female, they both look the same. And you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna come back and hunt that tree. Come October, and you come back in October, and there's not a single persimmon hanging on the tree. But it is a persimmon tree because it's a male. Male persimmon trees don't produce fruit. Um, only the females do. And so that's a weird, that's one of the weird ones that only, uh, there's like, what's the uh, word I'm looking for? Dimorphic. Um, so Sexually dimorphic. So there has to be a male persimmon within a reasonable distance from the female so that they can get the that's male the, sex that's, cell? That's my understanding, yes. Yep, so they can be fertilized. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got your regular pollination process, which most of your garden plants, for example, they have their flower, and inside the flower there are these all these different parts. There's the little um, fragile-type mm-hmm. things, um, which is the only way I know to describe it, the anthers. Mm-hmm. So those are your male parts. Mm-hmm. And then there's the pistil. That's your female parts, like the center mm-hmm. little node in a flower. So when a breeze blows or whatever the pollen leaves the anther and graces the pistol Mm -hmm. or when a bee lands on it and he's crawling all around he's moving pollen which is the the male you know production to the pistol where it fertilizes the the flower so a lot of these a lot of these plants can fertilize when flowering they can fertilize themselves but the benefit of having like dr- attracting all of these pollinator insects and that's why flowers are pretty yeah. and bright uh-huh. is you attract all these insects they're going from flower to flower to and eat, they're, they're e- yeah, eating mm-hmm. nectar yeah. and then eating nectar and then they're getting the pollen on them and if they go from your okra plant to your next okra plant to your next okra plant they've got these the the um male sex cell in mm-hmm. form of pollen on it, and then it's cross-pollinating, which leads to genetic diversity. That, yeah, that's the that's the second grade example yeah. uh-huh. of, of what's happening. Uh-huh. And I was we were talking about these plants that pollinate themselves or wind pollination. So corn's a wind pollinator, mm-hmm. for example. You know, it tassels out, and then the wind blows, and the and the pollen blows mm-hmm. to the other plants, which is super cool. Well, a pine tree, a lot. Well, not all pine trees, but a lot of pine trees, the male parts are at the top of the tree and the pollen falls. So you get that yellow pollen all over your car. Mm-hmm. So the pollen falls and it falls onto the female parts that are beneath mm-hmm. on the lower 
part of the canopy. So just all these neat designs by nature of how to reproduce. Yeah, one thing, so speaking of Garden Off 2021, one thing that we've just dealt with, um, which you you told me something that I didn't know if I was like, I was a little skeptical mm. of it. I wonder if you were going to bring this up. Yeah, so we had... Everybody if you, was skeptical if, Yeah, if it. you're in North Carolina, last week we had a frost for two days. Yeah, big pain. <laughs> so well, I think what we both... Actually, it was record news. In Raleigh, we hit the record low for the date on Friday. Mm-hmm. We hit 30 or Minute. 31, um, and the last record was in 1980-something, and it was 33. I don't think I ever got uh, below freezing. You got to like 34. To, it was at 31 at my house. Was it? Yep. Well, here's what I did. I watered the day before, um, normally like I would. Yeah, we water every day. And then I went and had tarps and did you go to Harbor Freight? I did. I had to get, <laughs> so I had, I had three tarps. Um, and my, I don't know if it's 17 by 10 tarp was not, not we weren't going to cut it for the big, for the big bed. So I had to go get me a new tarp, but good uh, deals over there. Though. Yeah. Pretty good deals. And so I got an extra tarp and then went and staked them down around the edge of the garden over the fence put in some saw bucks in the middle of the garden. Okay, you used saw bucks. I was going to ask you what uh, you did to yeah. uh, pitch the tent. Yeah, I had saw bucks in the middle. And, um, yeah, did that for two straight days, just like when it got the coldest part of the day. When the sun started to rise, we moved the tarp back off and let the sun do its thing. But um, you were like, you need to water it. Well, I was trying to come up with an easier way. You're like, you need to just run some water while it's when it's at the coldest part of the day to protect your plant. Yeah, I was just thinking about strawberry farmers, and, I mean, strawberries are always planted way early, Uh and they don't frost, and now Sam pointed out, strawberries are are semi-cold tolerant, Uh but strawberry farmers aren't going out and covering their strawberries, they water them um, to keep them from freezing, and I was like, well, it stands to reason that that would work for any garden, and... There's there's a half truth or a partial truth in that. You could do it. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly do it. Now, we've read some conflicting data on when. Um, so one thing you read. Yeah, here I have it written down here. So I was I was thinking like, from a human point of view, the last thing you would want to do is if you were sleeping out in the open, is get wet. Is get wet and then try to sleep when it got down to a freeze. But um, what I've been reading is. Water is very useful to prevent to prevent your garden from freezing. If you do it this way, you put some water down uh, on your garden like the, the morning in the morning before the freeze that next night. So you water it. Then w- on the night of the freeze, you can go back and dribble some water around the base of the plant. And what that's doing is uh, the plant's absorbing the water. And it creates a cushion around like the cell wall, <coughs> which is an insulator to the plant cells, and it's it, that's insulation. Secondly, the water in the soil also increases the soil's ability to retain heat from the sun. So it's holding heat, especially if you put, even if you didn't put a tarp or whatever over the top, but it's retaining that heat yeah. from the day a lot better, and then dry dry soil would. So you were you were actually right about that in many ways, and that like water is a useful tool to prevent your your garden from yeah. Freezing. My thought was you water it, 
like you go out before it dips below freezing, but you go out in the night. So if it's if they're calling for a freeze, you're thinking between three and five a.m. That's when you're yeah, like around that's, sunrise. That's your, that's your yeah. coldest points of the of the of the night. Mm. So I was thinking you go out at three, turn your sprinkler on, let it run for an hour or whatever, ever how big your garden is, get everything wet, and then cut it off, and then come back out, you know, before daylight when it's freezing, run your sprinkler again, and then the sun comes up and you're good to go. Yeah, but I think, so with strawberry farmers, what that's doing, I think, it's, since it's a cold-tolerant plant, it creates like an outer level a layer of frost on the outside of the plant itself, like a ice. Yeah, layer they're almost. trying to they're trying to get their plants rip wet right at thirty two degrees, and they want it to stay thirty two degrees. Yeah, uh huh. So it's creating almost like an insulation layer of ice. Ice. Yeah, but that wouldn't work with a cucumber. It tomato. Would not, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. It might would work with a tomato. I, th- I feel like a tomato is a bit more hardy than a cucumber. Yeah. Okras are, I think tomatoes are not very cold tolerant. Okras aren't. Cucumbers. Uh, they're they're weak. I think they're a weak plant uh, all the way around. Yeah. Um, but I wound up, I did not do that because I didn't want to get up at three and friggin' water my garden. So you tarped yours too? I tarped it. Oh, yeah. How in the two world days. did you have a tarp? I had, I had to do two tarps. Yeah. So, all right. I'd say statute of limitations is up on this. Uh-huh. So, I did some hurricane relief work couple of different times and if you're if you've ever been in a natural disaster when fema shows up they've got all this stuff that they're handing out to disaster victims mm-hmm. they always have a lot left over and just stuff gets lost or whatever well i got my hands on a fema tarp that they use for hurricane relief or disaster relief when someone's roof gets blown off mm-hmm. it's packaged in a box Got some nylon cords with it, and the tarp's huge. It's like a, I don't know. It's It was almost big enough to cover my garden. Well, I mean, they use them to cover houses with. Now, they're crappy tarps. Yeah, I mean, they're not. Fine. But it, all I needed was just something. To keep the frost. And yeah. so I covered it with that, and then I had another big, huge tarp that I used to use covering up hay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so between the two of those, what I did, I drove two-foot rebars all the way across my garden and put water bottles on top of them to keep mm-hmm. them from poking through the tarp. And so I kind of had it suspended like a revival tent yeah it's a garden revival yeah garden revival <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a little little preacher under there just preaching a sermon yeah but that's what i did so yeah we we uh now i did i did screw up um the last morning of the freeze i went turkey hunting didn't uncover the garden i was like i'll be back in time plan on killing turkey and getting mm-hmm. on back did not kill turkey and wound up hunting later in the day i didn't uncover the garden until 10 um, which is a concern. You can get some burn when the sun comes up. But luckily, my, I had I had watered the night before, so I had so much condensation under that tarp. No, no leaf burn. Mm-hmm. Everything, everybody's good. Mm-hmm. So when you uh, when you uncovered and covered your garden, was that a one man job? I was about to say, there's no way. Oh, that you... Mikey and I had to do it together. Now uncovering, I did that by myself. Yes, uncovering, I could do alone. Uh-huh. Covering, no way. Yeah, I didn't no think so. way. Um, not without damaging plants. Yeah, that's the concern. Um, so yeah, hopefully we, that's the last one you have to deal with. But if we have another frost, I left my tarps laying out there right by the garden. I'm gonna I'm leave them out, mm-hmm. I guess, till May, and then I'll put them up. Yeah, but if you have a garden or you're gonna put one in and the frost comes, now you, now you have at least uh, a little bit of preparation to know what to do. Transitioning that to the 
land trust, um, I'm really glad I helped. Last year I planted early, way early on our dove fields and had to replant because we had a unseasonably late frost. Yeah. A couple. Uh-huh. And it, it killed our, it actually, we had a full-on kill. Um, a us, millet. Us and a lot of the surrounding farmers because um, we all planted the same kind of week and we had an unseasonably late frost and it smoked everybody's stuff. So everybody had to replant. So this year I held off on purpose. Really glad I did. I think maybe we're seeing a trend of wet summers and late frosts. Um, or at least we have the past two years. So we'll see how this year goes. But yeah, we we will be planting dove fields in the next two weeks. Transitioning like you did to the land trust. Um, if you're interested in this sort of thing, you're interested in pollinators, you're interested in land management, you're interested in... If you're a landowner. A landowner. Uh, really, anything. I mean, this we're just talking gardens right now, but we we spend a lot of time in this show talking about different land management tools, and um, we are doing something unique or new this year, which we're excited about, and I think there's a lot of people excited about it um so i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you kind of give your introduction on this yeah uh wasn't my idea wasn't my idea by any means but it's uh we're calling it the habitat summit three rivers land trust is hosting the habitat summit and it's uh very similar to other conferences that are held around whatever topics you can think of um some that come to mind that i've attended or the Southeastern Deer Study Group, um, which is a, a conference more for professionals in the field. Um, but this conference is geared towards the landowner, the leaseholder, the land manager, the practitioner who is going to be on the landscape doing hands-on work. Um, and we're going to be hosting this in Mooresville, um, North Carolina, on October the 8th. And we're rounding up the what what we're trying to get the all-star cast of speakers and experts in their realm of 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 knowledge on different topics and it's going to be ran kind of kind of like any other conference would be there'll be various uh different presentations that you can attend during the day all going on at once you just pick the ones you want and, and attend those and mid you know in the morning everybody will be together for a little introductory talk midday at lunch There will be keynotes, (coughs) excuse me, there'll be keynotes, and then in the afternoon, there'll be a uh, exit speech as well, but that's kind of how it's going to run, and just a little preview, and we're, and we've sent out, you know, proposal, um, submittal um, requests to a lot of different folks who we think might be great speakers, but some of the preview of what we've got, our keynotes um, are our doctor. Doctor, uh, they call him Doctor Grantwood. Doctor Deer, right? Mm-hmm. That I think show? So. Growing I Deer, know. Growing Deer. That's uh-huh. the name of the show. Doctor Deer is a whole other guy. Um, growing Deer, mm-hmm. uh, Growing Deer TV. Doctor Grant Woods, right? Yeah, right. And then Kip Adams um, with the uh, QDMA is also um, keynote. So those guys, if you want to look them up and see more about them, they're both. Land managers geared really towards game species, but uh, very prominent in the uh, the community as far as land management goes, and you know pretty big fish, national nationally known figures that are going to be coming to speak at this conference. And 
Then we're going to have a ton of, you know, local knowledge there. We've got a talk coming on managing for barn owls on your property. How cool is that? I mean, I'm instantly intrigued by that. Mm. I feel like I need more barn owls on my place. So that that's a topic that I'll be in, into. I mean, we've got, you know, pesticide application. There's going to be pesticide uh, credits. If you're a manager and you've got a pesticide license, there's going to be continuing education CE credits for pesticide applicators and for foresters, um, potentially arborists as well. Burn. Um, yeah, we're going to do prescribed burn talks. Um, won't be me giving these talks. I feel like people hear enough for me. We're going to have a, a guest speaker come in. And, and talk about prescribed burning and management. And I think a lot of these talks will kind of overlap one another with some of the different practices. Um, I'm sure multiple people will mention prescribed burning, but we're going to give a talk specifically on that. A mm-hmm. um, lot, lot of different stuff. Pond management's on the, on the list. Um, invasive species from a plant standpoint is on the list. And you've heard from Eli Beverly on this show before. Eli's going to be one of the speakers. Uh, what a great great resource to have and yeah i think uh so have you have you talked about kind of how it's going to be broken yeah down? i talked about that there's going to be multiple multiple sessions going on yeah, you get to I pick and ch- you get to mm-hmm. pick and choose and and then we're reconvening it at a couple points for keynotes yeah but, i've heard a lot of feedback um good feedback from sports members so you get to, yeah sorry yeah, you'll get ahead. to pick the topics you're interested in and you won't have to sit through anything you don't care yeah, about. Yeah, if you're like... Uh, that's that's the point Yeah, if that. you're like, oh, if I don't care about owls. If I don't care about barn owls, which uh-huh. if you don't... <laughs> don't come. If you don't care about <laughs> barn owls, what? Um, but yeah, if you don't care about getting a continuing education pesticide credit because you don't have a pesticide license, you may not want to sit through a talk on safe handling of pesticides. Yeah, but you have a pond on your place. You want to you go to that pond management. Yeah, talk. or I want barn owls. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Now go ahead. So um, we actually... Registration's open for that. Um, it's on October 8th. It's in Mooresville. Said that, said that, said those things. Okay, good. Charles Mack. Didn't say that. That's at the Charles Mack Citizen Center in Mooresville. Um, and yeah, come on out. I'm, I'm excited about it. I think, I think it's one of these events that's really good that we're doing it. Um, because it really touches on a lot of the things that the land trust is all about. You know, we, we're into, obviously, we're into all these outdoor recreation opportunities and uh, adding to the public trust and getting people out doing fun stuff. Um, but certainly, a huge part of this job is actual management uh, and the importance of management yeah. in conservation. Permanent, we've said it on here before, permanent conservation is the first step. And that's what we promote the most. But permanent conservation is only as good as the management that's happening on that property afterwards. I mean, we've we've said it before. Here in North Carolina, every piece of property has been touched by man. There's nothing left that hasn't man hasn't screwed up by dipping his finger in it some some way, shape, or form. And so it requires mitigation through management to better those properties, to keep them and maintain them and enhance them. So that's what this is about. This is about that next step. Mm-hmm. Or maybe in your case, the first step. Maybe you're thinking management first and then conserve, conserve permanently later. Either way, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's something that we're passionate about. And, you know, or maybe even, I mean, maybe you don't plan on putting a conservation easement on your property. It's just, this is my farm and I want to I have big I wanna, deer. I want to enhance it for wildlife. Yeah, I want to have more turkeys or I want to have more songbirds or I want to have more native wildflowers. 
you know, there's going to be something for everybody in terms of I want to have why why aren't there big bass in my pond? Well, don't come here, don't come here, don't come to this summit saying I want to grow big deer, big bucks, or I want big bass. Come here thinking I want quality, I want a quality deer herd. Yeah, I want a quality fishery. A hundred percent. But that's a I and mean, those other things will come along exactly, with it's having a byproduct. But yeah, don't don't come into it thinking this dude's going to give me the magic bullet for growing yeah. big bucks because mm-hmm. that's not that's not what this this is not that conference and i would advise you to never attend that conference yeah i think like it's um it's like what we talk about with buckwheat yeah. you know buckwheat is your favorite pollinator it's one of your favorite things to put on the landscape is it great for would you say that buckwheat leads to more deer it leads to a healthier deer population and a healthier deer population absolutely it does because it's forage for them but the by it's that's a small byproduct to the overall the reason the, yeah the reason which is one it's a pollinator two it is forage for all kinds of different animals the seeds for doves and songbirds um everything it's erosion preventer uh-huh. it's, it's everything it's a, it's a lot of things so that's kind of what this conference is it's you know this is what are the not technically silver bullets but what are the things that you can do on the landscape that are going to promote a healthy ecosystem and make your place better yeah one of the whole topics is going to be small property management Mm -hmm. like sam and my property you know Mm -hmm. they're small i mean we own little small we're young guys and we own super small little tracts of land but we want them to be the best they can possibly be and there's no way that we're the only two people that are that way Mm -hmm. you know we so attending this conference is hopefully going to make everyone better at managing their own property because North Carolina is 98, 98 or 99% private, privately owned. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, my, my property is my property is one acre, and I've got a hand tiller, and I've got, I mean, this is, it's all, I, it's not like I've got a tractor, but I'm doing little now, things. Now, luckily for Sam, he works with me, and, <laughs> and he's also got a background in wildlife himself, so he, he kind of already knows what, what he wants to do. But, like, a lot but, of things that I've learned on this job and that are going to be talked about in the conference are things that I'm doing on my little piece, and I'm doing it because I just I want to be able to walk out my door and see turkeys in the yard, or I want to be able to know that um, plant these native flowers so that I've got pollinators around the yard for my garden, and I want... Uh, forage for small critters and I want vertical cover. These are all things that I think about even on my one acre. And I think there's a lot of people, like you said, that, that want And if that. everybody's one acre did that, that'd be a lot of habitat connectivity. Uh-huh. And we would have a great, a great connective landscape for yeah. wildlife. Um, I think one of the topics that's going to, or one of the sessions that will fill up fast is the uh, cost share session. So for landowners who want to do all this stuff, they're like, God, all this is expensive. We're going to tell you how to get that, get paid to do it, how to get paid to do it. And uh, I think if, you, if you're not interested in that, then maybe you just have an excess of funds. But mm-hmm. most people don't have an excess of funds. And this is the case where you're going to attend a conference where you want to do these things on your property. We're going to tell you how to get those things paid for without spending your own dime. Partially, yeah. A lot of times partially, but mm-hmm. we're going to help you get paid. Yeah. Because there's incentive out there. Everybody wants good habitat, for the most part. Yeah, and it's stuff that you want to do anyways. So, yeah, attend the Habitat Summit. Look forward to hearing more about that as uh, as time progresses and we get a little closer to uh, October. But 
wanted to put that on your radar now so you can be thinking about yeah you go october ahead and si- the, I mean, october the 8th go ahead and sign up i mean we yeah it, it is limited registration so it it will likely fill up um we can only hold so many people especially with current restrictions and whatever else mm-hmm. so but yeah lunch is included right yep. lunch is included mm-hmm. yeah i thought so um what else we got on that you guys that your whole list of things we were going to talk about that's my list um yeah, that's pretty much my list, too. Do you want to talk uh, turkeys? Do you have any stories that need uh, to be told? Well, we were talking about pests earlier and turkeys and pests. One second. Before we, before we t- like kind of do our last little fill-in, um, we have a few sponsors. That was a great time to talk about these guys. Yeah, it was a great time to talk about them. Uh, we had Shane on last week, Rock Outdoors. Yeah, this is just a great time to pitch this. Coming up like now, coming up very, very soon. Is the through paddle. Yeah. If you didn't get fired up about paddling last week, it's probably because the sound quality was bad. Um, I got fired up about paddling. And you can get pretty much anything you're going to need for this paddle trip that the Land Trust is hosting from Rock Outdoors. Yeah, I think there's like, after that last episode, I think there's like a couple of registrations still available, maybe. So there's oh, a, Is it already filling up? Yeah, oh, it's close. But I think there's enough for like... If well, this one, is dropping if one, today. Yeah, if so. one listener was listening and had a group of like four people, we'll squeeze them in. They they and they were like, I just want to go with my friends. We want to have a group of four come in. I think there's like maybe like four spots still available. Maybe so if you're if you and a friend or a few I guess friends, I should have checked before I promoted I, that. Sorry. I, no, I think it's I think it's I think there's a few spots left. So if you're if you're on the fence about it, now or never. Pull trig. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah. Rock Outdoors get, is where you go. It's you where get you get dialed get up your, at Rock Outdoors. You get your gear. You can go talk to Shane, and he'll just outfit you right there. Mm-hmm. He tried to put me in a daggone kayak last time we were there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and don't get me wrong. If I didn't already own a, a full-on boat, like an actual boat, power boat, I would have been way into this thing. And it would have been perfect for, for me by myself fishing. Mm-hmm. But uh, he already, he made me like kind of want it after he showed it. Yeah, it had an eye pilot. It had all this stuff that I like. Yeah. Um, not necessarily like your your through paddle kayak. But it could be. <laughs> but I could carry everybody's gear on that kayak. <laughs> yeah. And then he, even in the podcast, he started referring to it as my kayak. Like, uh-huh. what a sales tactic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't shaken that out of my head. So mm-hmm. go to Rock Outdoors. They've got the gear. Wolf and Iron. Wolf and Iron. Yeah. I actually used Wolf and Iron this morning. Got out of the shower and throwed a little bit of... Uh, the John Muir beard oil right in there. Got a good got a good woodsy sit going. It smells kinda mm-hmm. like uh like cedar shavings. Yeah, Which I like that. Is, yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. It it reminds me of uh it reminds me of uh if you were at a sawmill and somebody pushed a they were trying to rip down boards, like from rough cut lumber, and they pushed a board through the mill a little too fast and it burned it just a little bit and you got that like kind of burnt woodsy smell Mm -hmm. that's what this smells like yeah it's a good smell yeah it's a good smell it's a good smell so wolf and iron you should check those guys out um they also got we don't talk about them enough they've got uh stationary you can order so if you're if you're into uh kind of old school communication or thank you notes yeah if you're into thank you notes which we like i like getting thank you notes um i don't send enough thank you notes but you can get Travis still talks about. Uh, here's the here's a pitch for thank you notes and stationery from Wolf and Iron. When I applied for this job, 
Did you send one? Yeah. In the mail? Uh-huh, yeah. How professional of you. Yeah. Really? It was a, yeah, it was nice. It was nice, like... No wonder you got the J-O-B. Well, I... So, I wrote a thank you note saying, you know, I'm very, I'm interested in the job, and I appreciate y'all taking the time to interview me, and this is why... This is kind of my, my last, you know, Sneaky. like, sales pitch for myself, and had it on a nice piece of stationery and sent it in. I, they, I, Travis may still have that. I bet he does. He may still have it, but he still brings it up from time to time. <laughs> I didn't know you did that. Yeah. Oh, so there's a, there's a pitch for getting stationary from them or, if, you know, from wherever, but writing notes in general. Yeah, well, Wolf and Iron's got, like, if, I guarantee you Travis would still have it if you got it from Wolf and Iron. Because mm-hmm. they got ones of, like, Teddy Roosevelt setting up on a mountain glassing for, glassing for bears. Oh, really? I like that. And it says it's got, like, one of his million quotes, uh-huh. something badass uh, yeah. that Teddy Roosevelt said. And then on the back it's got where you write your, mm-hmm. your handwritten note. Mm-hmm. So Wolf and Iron's got stuff like that. Um, I mean, where you can't, I mean, I guess you could make it yourself, but it mm-hmm. wouldn't be as cool as what, what you can get from Wolf and Iron. Yeah. So check those guys out. We, we like what they're doing over there. Keeping, keeping men, men. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, but anyways, what were, you were get? let's get back to the, you, you, you got me in on, oh, you got me in on a pitch there and I, I forgot where we were going, but, uh, I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my belt today. Your big iron? Yeah. I'm wearing it every day. I've worn it every day since, it, since I got it. Every single day. I'm not wearing mine today, but I usually wear it. It's a good belt. Yeah. I wear it every day. We've given the pitch for it many times. I mean, we've given the pitch for it many times. But Traveler Trading Company. Yeah, Traveler Trading Company. All these companies, again, they're all local. They're all out of North Carolina. And the reason we talk about them is because they all support conservation. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never going to hear us pitch a single, single vendor on this show that has a product that sucks or doesn't support conservation. So I think that that should be our. You should take our word for it. Yeah, on that. Traveler Trading Co. I mean, it's there's really not much more to say than Cody wears the belt every day. So <clears throat> yeah, I wear it every day. All right, we were going into turkeys. Oh yeah, that now I know where we're at. Mm-hmm. It's got nothing to do with Traveler Trading Co. I'll tell mine. Tell yours. Yeah. Um, are you going? Are you going to tell the story? Yeah. Are you really? I don't care. Sure. I'll strap in, folks. Yeah. I mean, it's not really that much. Actually, strap in and get a pint of ice cream so you can help <clears throat> help Sam wash it away. <laughs> Go ahead. So there's there's two stories kind of in one. There was two birds that I found on Game Lands this year. Oh, you got such bad stories. These are yeah. – I hate, I hate the endings of all these yeah, stories. Yeah, I know. Go. Um, one of these sections of Game Lands was very long – walk in uh took me approximately an hour and 15 minutes one way to get to this bird um on the boundary of private land and public land kind of all game lands turkeys occur near private land yeah. that's a, that's a <laughs> that's, hot that's take. a fact yeah if this is a turkey on game lands chances are there's private land within 100 yards yeah well that's the case with both of these birds um this one was a, this one was a little bit more killable he was he was I started to say all game lands turkeys occur on private land, <laughs> <laughs> which is almost true. <laughs> but this one, this one was certainly on game lands, and um, he—I think I've told the story once where he gave me the slip and I made an error. He told it. Yeah. So this is that same bird. I went back, um, and I was hoping to give an update of success. So I went back uh, a few days later after I told the story last time, and. Uh, make the long walk in. I was getting up super early. 
to go hunt this bird because I had to. So I was getting up, you know, in 3.30 or 4, um, driving over to the game lands, walking in uh, in the dark, and got there about the time that it's starting to get light, sat down, I'm right in good position, and I hear the bird gobble. <coughs> so I was like, here we Yeah, here no. we go. If you remember from the last time I told the did story. You, did you Al hoot him or anything? Or no, he just natural. Yeah, he was just gobbling. It was good timing. Um, if you remember from the last time I told the story, this was kind of like on a wildlife opening. Like there was a, like a the field that was on this section of game land. So I stand up to make a move towards this bird to get closer, and I see a guy stand up on the other side of the field. A human guy. A human being. And he looks at me, and I look at him, and we start walking towards each other. And <sighs> he... Um, he t- lets me know that he's on the game lands at this point, but he lets me know that he owns the private land, kind of towards where that, towards where that bird is gobbled. And I'm obviously he doesn't know that every single hunter has on X now. Yeah, so you can't uh-huh. like you can't BS someone on what you. Own. But he he did he did own that piece of <laughs> private of private land, um, but I told him I was like, well, I'm I'm hunting the game lands and I'm going over here. He's like. That's fine. And he went on to the, pri- the private property. And um, I sat down and started calling, and that gobbler is just hot. I mean, he's like, he's, oh, yeah, oh, uh, yeah uh-huh. oh, and he's coming my direction. Oh, and about that time, I get to thinking about it, and I realize that this guy is probably set from where the, where the direction I saw him walking. He's sat down in between that bird and me. And he's he may be calling, he may not be calling. I'm, I'm recreating the uh-huh. whole thing as you're telling it. So I can hear that bird coming that way, and I coming my way, and I start thinking like, this guy's why would he call? He's if I was him, and I could hunt on private property, and this guy was stuck at the game lands and couldn't sneak in, I would put myself in between me and him, and I'd wait for that bird to come in. So um, I jump up and I run, essentially, away, and then start calling very loudly from a different direction um hoping to just turn that bird because i was that bird was headed towards me my original spot and that guy was set up right there and i you know it i run to the new spot sit down call really loudly but within 30 (laughs) seconds he shoots he shoots that (laughs) Mm -hmm. thank you yeah and i was sick uh because i'd found (laughs) 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 i'd found that i'd found that tom uh in mid-March, probably. So I had known about him for a long time. Uh, and that guy just – it was on a Tuesday. It was before work. It's just like – and then I had to make the long walk back out empty-handed, knowing that that was ruined. So I still had one oh. I still had one more Tom that I knew about. And he's very sneaky, and he was on the boundary line of private and public. And he was not interested in anybody calling. So – I came to the conclusion that I need to go in the afternoon after work one day and I need to sit down in the area right on the boundary line, but on public land where I think he's roosted because he roosted right on public. And I think he flew down from the tree onto private and then was gone for the rest of the day. (laughs) That's a pretty good descriptor of of what's happening here. So I sat probably 40 yards from the private property. On the game lands. Within shotgun range. Within shotgun range. I mean, it's like I pretty much put it to where my shotgun range was the boundary line. Boundary line. 
So when he steps his foot, yeah, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, oh. yep. And uh, I sit there, and I did not call, and I sat for about two hours, and then I was getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. But I uh, and I didn't bring my thermosel that day. Go get a thermosel from Backcountry and Beyond. But I hear them coming, like I hear them. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And this bird. It's just getting louder and louder, and I, I'm not moving because I'm just staying as still as possible. It gets so close that I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I start hearing that, and I kind of out of my peripherals, I see a hen. Dude, you're killing me. That sounds, yeah. And this hen is looking at me, and she's probably 10 feet away from me. And at this point, she's kind of got her back to me. So I couldn't fully tell if it was, you know, I'm looking out of the corner of my eye. I'm looking for a beard. Trying to spot that hang down. Yeah. And I didn't, I couldn't see one. She starts trotting and trotting away from me. And um, then out of the corner of my eye, I'm still looking. I've, at this point, I realize she's a hen. And I'm looking and I hear another bird and I can see a Jake running. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. And then what happens? And he's putting. And that Always point, he's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but. He's running towards a lip to go over the top of a hill. He's still on public land, and I, I know at this point that this spot's about blown up. They they figured out that I'm here. I don't know what they saw, um, but I pretty much had a crack. He was, so I spun real fast and waited for him to run through an opening on um, before he crossed onto private and took a crack at him. He was it wasn't like a full on sprint. He wasn't flying yet or anything, but he was definitely trotting pretty hard. And, uh, I missed, yeah, and then there he goes, just like that. He was going onto, onto uh, private land, and I haven't been back since. Doc Holliday said, and he walked out of our lives forever. He did, he did. Ugh. But that's, uh, I don't know. I'm, hey, that's dis- I'm disheartened, but I'm also I, I both of those birds. I did just about everything I could, and just had. Well, just think, you could be tagged out right now, and not be. and not get to hunt no more. I'm, I don't know. I, 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 I'm very disheartened about the process of going and trying to find another bird. It's tough. Yeah, especially late in the season like this. Um, it can be done. It can be done. It's just, uh, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I put in a lot of work to find those two, and I, I'm blown both of them. So it's, uh, and the, every day that passes, it just, especially on game lands, it just gets harder. It gets you, and that's that was a fun thing about both of those birds. Is I had to problem solve. I had to like, all right, I've got to do, I've got to do something wacky here. It's all turkeys. That's yeah. all turkeys. And I did something wacky, and it worked out. And just the cards didn't fall in my in my favor. It's turkeys. But yeah, I'm still gonna go back out, but. Uh, well, you know, I mean, there's a there's a fine chance that another male bird will move right into either one of those spots. Yeah. I mean. Granted, it's going to be hard for you to get the get the the drive to go back and check it again, knowing that there might not be one there. That first spot, I'm tired. I'm tired <laughs> of walking in there. Yeah, I feel that way about. I feel, I've I've already crossed off my number one game lands bird. Uh, my number one game land spot is done for me. I it's yeah. too far of a walk, and I'm not hunting it on Saturdays. I, I yeah, just, I won't hunt on Saturday. And. On and I can't go in there before work anymore. It's I I I'm coming in at ten. 
if I do it, and that's only hunt until eight. You know. Yeah, that's not enough time. Not enough time. I get that. Well, I don't have any like uh, stories like that for you. I've got a different kind of uh, story about turkeys. Totally. So the turkey I killed, right, on opening day was a, a really nice specimen, turkey-wise. And I do what I always do. I uh, stretched his fan out, cleaned all the excess meat off that I could get off of it from the base of the tail, pinned it, borax and salt. On the meat. On the, on the meat and yeah. any damp areas. Mm-hmm. Got it fanned out the way you would want it to be when it's dry on the wall. Full semicircle. And on uh, that same, it, yeah, half, yeah half circle. And then on that same cardboard, I've got the beard with the meat tip, you know, cleaned but dipped in salt borax mixture laying there. And then I clip the spurs, you know, at the leg. A section of leg. Section of leg off on each spur. And those are also drying. All in the same them, box. You have them in a bag or something. Or They're just laying out in on top bo- of this on, cardboard box. In borax, dipped in borax? Dipped in borax, yeah. laying out on top of this cardboard box on top of two stacked Tupperware totes, like big, like yeah. kitchen-sized mm-hmm. Tupperware totes um, in my shop. My shop has been mouse-free all winter, and I keep a very close eye on this because that's where I process a lot of my fur. That's where I process a lot of my meat. So I'm a stickler for cleanliness and it'd been a couple of days so i killed the turkey on a saturday and you know fixed everything the way i've just described and then probably wednesday or thursday i hadn't been in the shop since i go into the shop and i instantly noticed there are some mouse pellets on the floor which i've never seen in there before i would notice this thing this type of stuff my floor is very clean. Even though it's a shop, I, it's swept very neat. Um, so I was like, huh. So the first thing I do is look at, I've got a bunch of fur that I haven't shipped off yet hanging on the wall. So I look to see if there's any damage to any of my fur. Everything's fine. Should be. It's dry. It's stretched and dried. Then I walk around over to examine my turkey fan. And I had chewed all the meat from the base of the tail, what was left, ripped all the feathers off. They're all in the floor. The beard, this is an 11-inch beard, is gone. Both spurs are gone. And the fan is just about to come apart. I mean, it's still together and salvageable. I put some hot glue on it just to keep it together. But, uh, yeah, they basically ruined it. So I, I I was beside myself. You know how hard it is to get a turkey, and then you go into all that work of preparing it to preserve it for, you know, like a, not necessarily a trophy, but a memory, and I didn't even take that many pictures of this oh, turkey. Oh, they're beautiful. And Why so, would you, yeah, it's something you want to display. Yeah, Absolutely. it's just something I wanted to keep, you mm-hmm. know. I worked hard to get it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, in terms of something to put on the wall, I felt, it's prettier than anything I, that you could buy. Yeah, you can't, money doesn't buy this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt much like you probably did when that dude shot. Like, wanted to throw up a little bit. Traps. I put 10 traps out. I was like, this is, we're done. We're done playing games. It's on right now. And I caught seven mice the first night. Seven deer mice the first night. 
and haven't caught one since. It's like they, and we talked, you and I talked about this, something about those turkey fans, because you had one damaged, or almost damaged. Yeah, I had, uh, my dad shot a turkey last year, and I took the fan and everything from him, and I had a rat come in and eat on some of that a little bit. I caught it very quickly. A mouse. It was a rat. Oh, it was a full rat. These are mice. These yeah, are it was like a rat. Little, bit, little bitty mice. But he, I lost a couple of feathers out of that fan. Um, like, pro, not the primary. Saddle. The yeah, saddle. The saddle. Yeah, the, the all, saddle. All the saddle off of mine's gone. Um, Ruined. And he ate damn near through some of the actual fan feathers. But I found a way to salvage those. Yeah. And I, uh, it, it, I fixed it. But it took, yeah, I almost lost it completely. Yeah. And then that came up with the solution for this. And what I did is I built a frame that's like a triangle and it has a mount where I can screw it in if you have a shop or something like that to a wall. So the fan sits at about a 45 degree angle so it doesn't <laughs> slide off. Because when you're, you know, you have it pinned, you can't leave it pinned like vertically yeah it has to lay flat it has to lay flat or if you can have it on a on an angle like a triangle so i I built it so it doesn't like a flat surface and then i mounted it to the wall at that angle and that way nothing could get climb up there and get it Uh which is certainly my next step but i uh my beard's gone i haven't found it yet i'm assuming they ate it yeah my spurs i don't know how they could have eaten those but maybe they seven of them chewing maybe they could have gnawed them up i don't know but uh i haven't located either of those yet uh so anyways little learning experience from from our misfortune there if you are successful in the turkey woods either mount your fan to dry up on a wall or put it somewhere that's totally mouse proof which yeah in my opinion, there's nothing that's totally mouse-proof. Maybe a refrigerator closed. Yeah, it's in- it's it's definitely uh, interesting because that's a um, – I'd never had anything really have any mice problems in my situation or rat problems in that place Until either. That. So I don't know what it is about a turkey fan. Something about it because that's the second time I've had mice try to get – well, not at this house, but uh-huh. at places I've been and never had issues. Like all that fur – I mean, I'm running through I don't know how many animals – of fur every year dressing them stretching them drying them hanging them never an issue i'm grinding meat I'm, but i mean also using a lot of clorox and cleaning chemicals mm-hmm. maybe that keeps them from coming around but yeah i don't know but there I is something know. about a turkey fan that's something that's something important to know um they like that a whole lot yeah what an awful situation and typically i'm i'm cool with a mouse being around but i don't i don't do not want them in my in my workspace I've got a couple of recommendations as we close this thing down. I'm ready. Um, Do you ever watch that documentary, Grizzly Man? Never seen it. Okay, it's by a guy named Werner Herzog. He's German. I don't think you'd like like his narration because he's Mm-mm. got a thick accent. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like other people with thick accents. But he's got a he's got like a <laughs> very interesting voice. Uh, kind of a weird dude. Um. That's a very interesting documentary. That's not the one I'm talking about, but Grizzly Man's the story of uh, a guy who got his turkey fan chewed up. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> a guy who out. lived out in Alaska with grizzlies, and he was like a freak. I mean, he's a weird dude. And then he got eaten, but he got eaten. Yeah, I've heard. About, I've, uh-huh. I know this story. Well, Werner Herzog did another documentary about 
people living in Siberia, uh, and it's called Happy People because like they have they have nothing. Like the only contact with the outside world that they have is hel- helicopters can fly in, uh, and for like two months of the year, people can come in by boat, and that's it. Um, so a lot of the men in town are trappers and like during trapping season, they pack up, say goodbye to their families and wait for rain to come. And they motor, they load snowmobiles or whatever into boats, hand dug canoes that they make and they motor up river to trapping cabins that they've built out in the taiga. And they just, and they're, they all have dogs and there's like, nobody's a hunter without a dog. I agree and with that. it's like, you know, it's like their companion are these dogs and they're living out in these shacks that they built out in the forest where there's literally nobody and trapping for, you know, and talk, selling it well. talking about the prices of furs that they're getting, how it like sustains their family. But really why they're doing it is because they love it. And it's like, I just, I'm out here by myself. And if something goes wrong, I'm dead. And I dig. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and, but I like, I'm connected with my dog and I'm connected with this forest and I love it out here pretty much. <laughs> like I can take my snowmobile 150 miles. How are they getting fuel? Uh, I think they like take a couple of trips to have fuel, but I think a lot of it is like, I, I don't know. I actually don't know. Um, Worth investigating. Yeah. This one thing, there's like a few things that they have like modern conveniences. Um, some of them have. Some of them have snowmobiles. Some of them don't. They make their own skis. Um, so it like goes through the process of them making their own skis. I just watched a thing about making skis yesterday. Yeah. So that's like... A lot it, goes into making a ski. Uh-huh, 100%. But he's like, you know, that's a must-have tool. Um, some of them have chainsaws, um, but some of them just have axes. I feel like you're not a hunter if you don't have a chainsaw. Yeah. Like, Well, these guys, I mean, it's like, you know... They're going out and catching mink and, okay. and all kinds of stuff. But, yeah, very interesting. Um, so that's a good recommendation if you're interested. It's called Happy People, and it's like – What's it on? It's on Amazon? I don't remember. I should look that up. I don't remember. Uh, the other one was – They sound happy. I'm happy thinking about it. Yeah, but it's like it's not like they're smiling ear to ear or anything. No. It's just like – They don't have to deal with all the, all the garbage. 100%. That's yeah. what they talk about. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I did recently, which I'm – a big fan of is in the past I've taken shanks off of deer. Did you tell this already? I don't think so. Maybe you're just telling did me. Did I? I thought I told you. Maybe you're if, just telling if, me. If I didn't, if I did, I'll, I'll go over it quickly. Um, I used to take the shanks off of deer. And if you've ever processed deer shanks for your grind pile, well, you definitely have told this on here. I told you, I no. told you. Okay. Continue. I definitely didn't tell. Okay. Continue. You like there's so much connective tissue and tendon within a shank that it's very difficult to get. It's more work than it's worth. So what I've started doing or I've done once and I will do from now on is take the shank. I freeze it in the freezer when I'm ready for like a nice meal. I'll take it out, use my sawzall to cut it into sections of bone in sections of shank. And off of one shank, you get like three, maybe four. And do it like you can saw it when it's frozen and it's not throwing meat everywhere. It's a nice clean cut through this thing. Uh, and then I have a sous vide 
which is a new tool. Yeah, you haven't told this. You yeah. just told you were definitely telling me this. Yes. Yeah. I I have a sous vide. You could also use a crock pot. But what I did was I browned that meat and then put in some red wine. I pulled out the meat browned, set it to the side. Inside the the trimmings, I put in red wine, some flour, and a stock pot. And well, yeah, I had a I cooked the brown the meat in a stock pot in the base of it. <clears throat> and then in some oil. I actually think I used bacon grease. And then in the bottom of that is some trimmings and some brown bits and stuff from where I browned it. Then in that, you heat it up, you put in red wine, you put in some flour, you put in some stock, and you make like a sauce. Gravy, yeah. Yeah, like a nice, just nice gravy. Then I put those into bags, vac-sealed bags of the meat with that sauce on top of it. And I got the sous vide, which heats up water to a constant temperature and keeps it to that temperature. I got it up to 176 degrees. And I put those vac-sealed bags with the meat and the sauce into the water for 24 hours. So you just do – it's like – it's helping in, yourself In out what – what's the water in? What kind of container? Are you, uh, did you do this in your Yeti bucket? What, you could, yeah, 100%. What did you cook it in? Uh, I have like a little plastic tub. And, and I put it on top of the stovetop on a heat pad, like it's something so it's not. Yeah, like serving. You wouldn't do it on like your countertop. You know, you might hurt your countertop, but you do it on a heat-proof surface. And uh, yeah, when, it was great. When I when I got done, I did we did the work the day before, got off work the next day, and a meal was ready. That you know, it's not like the house smelled great because it's all contained. It's all zipped up in a. Yeah, but you thing. cut the top off of that Ziploc bag after you pull it out. Or the vac bag. bag. And you just, I mean, you go in, the bones are completely exposed. The, even, like, marrow is out of the bones. You just pull the bone out, throw that away. And yeah, and it's, so all you've got is sauce and meat, and then you make, like, a, a rice or a, a mashed potato. And you have, I'm talking about shank meat that is falling apart like, I mean, I can't even explain Ultra it. Ultra tender. Super tender. Super tender. Uh, oh, the other thing that I put into that sauce is like carrots, whatever you want in that gravy. You can make like a nice sauce. I'm interested Onion. In this. Um, yeah. So 24 hours. That's what 24 hours at 176 degrees will get you. It'll get you. How do you feel about cooking in plastic? Hot plastic. <laughs> I'm just asking. I, it doesn't bother me, but. I'm interested in it. Yeah, I'm certainly. I like. It's not something that I don't think about because I think about well, microwaving you, stuff in. Uh, well, yeah, you don't do that, and you don't drink water in plastic bottles after it's set out in the sun. Yeah, you try not to. Yeah, yeah, you're not supposed to. Um, especially if you're a, a dude. Yeah. So, everything that I've seen is these things are like safe, like heat safe. But I definitely think about that. I think so are tubwares. But I don't yeah, go. I, yeah, I'd we like, use we use glass Tupperware at our house. Yeah, but when I'm like, if I've got something in a plastic Tupperware and I'm like going to heat it up and have it for supper, like leftovers, I generally transfer it to a plate. Plate. So there's there's definitely. Um, yeah, we don't even store food in plastic Tupperware yeah. at our house. There's definitely there's a few things that I don't like about it that I kind of prefer a crock pot above, and one of those is like even having to use plastic, like one time use plastic. Well. Here's the thing, vac bags, if you do it right, I don't know about sous vide, but if you're like trying to save money or or save the planet one plastic bag at a time, vac bags are reusable. You can put them straight up in the dishwasher, turn them inside out in the dishwasher, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. After you've zipped the top off, make sure you cut it off nice and even. Yeah. And then it's just a smaller bag. Turn it back the other way, and you can stick something else in. Yeah, it. for sure. Seal uh-huh. it right back up. When you're vac bagging, do you double? Do you double seal? I double seal. Always. I do too. Always, especially yeah. with the bags I'm running now. But yeah, I do too. Unless I fill it up too much. I think probably what I need to do is. I generally try to measure out, like, this is exactly the size bag that I need to fit this item and the sauce. Quart bags do a pound. Yeah, maybe I need to, so I've got a roll, and I cut it. Maybe I need to cut them a little bit larger, and that can get a second use out of them. If you want to Because when I zip yeah. the top off, it's usually, like, it's about too small I, for I anything. will tell you what I've been doing. So I've been, I quote-unquote reuse my bags. So I know we're, like, off topic a little bit here, but... With my vac bags, I will vac seal up whatever food item. Like most recently, smoked turkey. So I've got smoked turkey in my quart bags, vac sealed Mm -hmm. up in the freezer. Whenever I bring those out, we empty a bag out. It's empty of food, inside out, wash it in the dishwasher. I do not reuse that with food. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm trying to make like the ultimate food product every time I produce something. And I don't want to be like the corner I cut being, I was too cheap to put it in a new bag. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, and it's just a, a weird corner to cut. So what I do with those bags is I save them. I put them in a, a whole nother bag, like separate from my food bags. And then when I'm going to vac seal up like stuff for camping, like matches or keys or credit cards or whatever kind of stuff that you vac seal like that. Snacks Cell phone, mm-hmm. you know, weird stuff that you vac seal. Like I like to vac seal all kinds of strange things at times because mm-hmm. it's like laminating something makes it waterproof mm-hmm. so i'll use those those second use bags for that does that yeah. make sense that's good use yeah that makes a lot of sense that's a hot tip well i just don't like throwing them away because they are kind of pricey they are pricey but yeah. i also don't want to like restick. i think like, if i do it again turkey in it. i'm gonna try it again except in uh crock pot you got your dishwasher now don't you mm-hmm. dishwasher on like not the super hot setting mm-hmm cleans them right up yeah i'll do it crock pot and come back and let y'all know how that does but that being said doing shanks that way instead of using them for grind pile or whatever it's a it's way better way better i start to call emily uh with the uh the raw feeding Uh uh-huh and be like hey you want some shanks but hook you up with 10 deers worth of shanks yeah i'll take them I'll take uh, them. It's a great meal. I, it's a it's a it's a great meal. To, like if well, you if wanted you, to impress if you got somebody, sous vide. Yeah, I think that's. A good I think crockpot would work just as good. I'll come back on that. But come back, bring is, it back to the table. Mm, yeah, crockpot's a great tool anyway. Uh-huh. My crockpot's totally missing. By the way, never recovered from the move. It's been what, over a year. Never recovered the crockpot. I don't know. I might have a second one. It may be mine. If you've got two, uh, it's not yours. We, it was given to us. At our wedding. What does yours look like? It's black. It's the nice one with the removable ceramic or stone insert. Uh-huh. Lid snaps down. It's got all the good settings on yeah, it for timing. I don't have that. I've got, oh, I, don't I think I have two and they both have low or high. Well, I've got a small one that was like my personal one and it's low medium, or low and high, yeah. I think. And it's just this tiny one, but it's not great for a family. Yeah. The one I'm missing is the one you would do shanks in. Or Can ribs. you set the temperature on it? The one I'm missing? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I like that. It was, a, it was the top of the line crock pot. Yeah. Gone. No idea. Where, how do you lose a crock pot? It's probably around somewhere. Dude, it's not. It's not anywhere. We have torn the place apart looking for it. Hmm. I think we left it sitting on the counter somewhere at the old house. Yeah. 
Somebody's using my crock pot. I need to go knock on the door and ask. I'll never. <laughs> Anyways, thank y'all for listening. We'll, uh, we finally got one out on time, so that's good. Yeah, look forward to uh, upcoming episodes with new guests. Yeah, and, we've got some. Uh, we got some really. I probably actually next week we got a really exciting guest coming up. Who's coming up next week? The um, so the gals from the View. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I did forget they were big into hunting. Yeah, well, <laughs> actually, they're. You know, you see them on TV, and you're like, oh wow, these. these you ladies. wouldn't. Be, you wouldn't. You wouldn't realize that they're into noodling. And by noodling, you mean grabbling for catfish with their bare hands. Yeah, going underwater. <laughs> so <laughs> Megan McCain and uh, what's the name of the... Um, I don't know any of the gals on The View. Is, the, is it Whoopi Goldberg? Whoopi or who, Goldberg. Who is, one that looks kind of like Betty White, but it's not Betty yeah, White. They are, they're big into noodling, and they're going to come on and talk about catching big cats with their hands next week. What? So, no, so tune, so tune back in next week for that. And I thought you were being, dude. I thought you were telling me a real life, uh, yeah, actual I, guest that we were I gonna am. have. Oh, you are. <laughs> yeah. So, thank y'all for listening. We'll come back next week. We'll have some cool guests to <laughs> talk about conservation. Thanks. If you like the content and you'd like it to keep coming, you should still know that this podcast is just one of the tools that we use here at Three Rivers Land Trust to further our conservation mission. Our number one priority and purpose has always been to conserve land and natural resources for future generations and to be a voice for wildlife to ensure that they have habitats forever here in North Carolina. The podcast is just a byproduct to further that mission. To be a part of the team in the fight for the conservation mission, you should visit our website at www.3riverslandtrust.org.